Welcome to the audio version of Lift Your Eyes, Reflections on Paul's Letter to the Ephesians, by me, Lionel Windsor, New Testament Lecturer at Moore College, Sydney. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Christ's Body, A Brief History. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says this, And Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to prepare the holy ones for the work of ministry, for building the body of Christ, until we arrive, all of us, at the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, at the grown-up man, at the measure of maturity, the fulfilment of Christ. Are you a Roman? That is, are you the kind of person who really cares about organisation, strategy, pragmatics, and getting things done? The Roman Empire was famous for those things. And so the Romans ruled the world, or at least the Mediterranean world. In a very real sense, Romans today, I'm now using the word to refer to people who care about organisation and strategy and leadership and management and doing stuff, they still rule the world. You'll go a long way if you're a Roman. I'm a Roman. I'm an engineer by training. I want things to be organised properly. I want to achieve goals. I want to make it all work. I keep my inbox to zero. I love Craig Hamilton's brilliant book, Wisdom in Leadership, which is full of insights and tips and warnings against common pitfalls for people in ministry teams, all set within a framework of humble, gospel-driven wisdom. I highly recommend you read it too. We need more Romans in Christian ministry. But, if you're a Roman, you can have a problem when you read the Bible. Because, If you care a lot about organisation, strategy and leadership, then you can end up reading the Bible entirely through the lens of those particular concerns. You can start to believe that the most important questions in the world are pragmatic questions. And so you can assume that the Bible is written to give you answers to those questions. So, for example, you can end up reading passages describing the church and ministry as if they're Extracts from a handbook designed to answer Roman-style questions. Who's in charge? What does the organisational chart look like? What are the various offices? And what exactly do they do? What's the division of labour? Who are the support staff? Who exactly is supposed to do evangelism? What are the other tasks that need to be achieved? How can we efficiently and effectively deploy our gospel soldiers in their various fields? What are the key strategies to employ? These are all significant questions for Christian ministry. But by and large, the Bible doesn't often provide direct answers to these questions. In fact, you might have noticed that when a Bible passage does look like it's about to start answering these questions explicitly, the answers seem a bit obscure, or tantalisingly brief, or even contradictory. And that's because most Bible passages aren't actually written to answer our Roman questions. Of course, the Bible is always very relevant 
to our pragmatic questions. The Bible tells us about God and his purposes for his world and for us. The Bible gives us foundational truths that must shape every decision we make about church and ministry life. But that doesn't mean that every Bible passage we come across is written to answer our specific organisational and pragmatic questions. And I think this is the case here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. These verses, especially verses 11 to 12, are sometimes seen as a direct answer to some of the Roman-style organisational questions I've mentioned above. For example, it's seen as a specification for how the church's various offices should be structured. Or it's seen as a blueprint for the way leadership teams with varied gifts can work together to mobilise Christians for their various roles in church. But I don't think Paul is trying directly to answer those questions here. Rather, in this passage, Paul is deliberately and explicitly referring back to things he's already said in Ephesians. So far in Ephesians, Paul has said some incredibly important and mind-blowing things about God and Christ and mission and the truth of the gospel and the preaching of the gospel. But he hasn't said much at all about detailed structures and pragmatics. I think the same is true here in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. These verses are more about what the risen Christ has done in the history of gospel mission than about how we're supposed to organise ourselves. Now, if you want to read more on what I think that's the case, you can check it out in more detail and what I've written elsewhere, and there's a link in the blog post. But now I just want to outline what I think these verses actually say. And I want to show you that even though this passage doesn't necessarily answer our Roman questions, it is still highly relevant to our Christian life and ministry. Verse 11 says, And Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. The most important part of this verse is the subject, Christ himself. What has Paul said about Christ just prior to these verses? He said that Christ is a rich and generous giver who has given various gifts to his people. Remember, Christ is also the one who ascended and descended. Christ ascended to heaven after he rose from the dead, which shows that he is victorious and powerful. And then Christ descended in the person of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And when Christ descended at Pentecost, he gave gifts. Notice that Paul says he gave, not he gives. Paul is describing something that happened, not at this point prescribing what must keep happening today. What are the gifts that Christ gave? Well, the gifts are actually people. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Now, Paul isn't just talking here about any generic apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. He's talking about particular people, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Now, Paul's already mentioned the apostles and prophets earlier in his letter. These people formed the nucleus of the early Israelite believing community. The apostles were the foundational witnesses 
to Christ's life, death and resurrection. We read a lot about them in Acts. The teaching of the apostles was the basis for the early Christian community in Jerusalem. Several of them became leaders in the mission itself, as it went out from Israel to the nations. And in the book of Acts, the prophets were people who assisted and extended that Jerusalem-centred mission of the gospel. The evangelists and the teachers also play a key role in Acts. Philip, the evangelist, Acts 21 verse 8, is an example of someone who preached the gospel to various people in Judea and Samaria. That's in Acts chapter 8. There were also teachers who were working alongside prophets, Acts chapter 13 verse 1. Pastors aren't mentioned by name within the early apostolic community in Acts, but Paul here in Ephesians associates them closely with teachers. So Paul is here talking specifically about certain people with a key role in the early Israelite believing community. Why did God give these people to this community? Not so that they could sit around enjoying their leadership status, but so that they could do a job. What job? Well, Paul doesn't give us a detailed job description for each of these people, but he does tell us what they were all working together to do. That is, start at verse 12, to prepare the holy ones. Okay, so who are the holy ones? Although elsewhere, Paul says that all believers are holy, he says that right at the start of his letter, at this point, and in this context, the holy ones is referring to the original Israelite community centred on the apostles in Jerusalem. But these original holy ones weren't just supposed to sit around being holy in Jerusalem. They were being prepared for something. That is, they were being made ready and fit for some greater purpose. What was that purpose? The holy ones were being prepared for the work of ministry for building the body of Christ. Given what Paul has already said in Ephesians, the work of ministry must be referring to the mission of preaching the gospel to the nations. After all, that's what Paul was talking about when he called himself a minister in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, I became a minister of the gospel according to the gift of God's grace that he gave to me to preach to the Gentiles the gospel. There's a common idea that the word ministry means humble service. Because of this idea, some translations even change the singular phrase, work of ministry, to a plural phrase, works of service. The NIV does that, for example. And that makes it sound as if Paul's talking here about all sorts of different ways of serving one another. It implies that the apostles, etc., were sort of service facilitators of some sort. But this isn't the right way of understanding the word. Of course, Paul does talk about various kinds of service in other places, but that's not what the word ministry means here. It actually means bringing God's word, the gospel, to the world. And that is the reason the holy ones were being prepared. I've written more about that elsewhere, and again, there's a link on my blog. Does this mean, then, 
that every individual in the early Israelite believing community was an evangelist. Are we to assume that they all individually ran off and preached the gospel to the ends of the earth and nothing else? Well, Paul doesn't answer that question here, because it's not a question he's directly interested in. It's another one of those Roman questions about organisation and strategy and who does what. But given what we read in Acts, it's unlikely that this is how it worked. It's more likely that each individual played a different role in the mission at different times. Praying, encouraging, caring, teaching, supporting, preaching, etc. But the point Paul is making here is that the work of ministry was the purpose they, as a group, collectively were being prepared for. They may have had different roles, but their corporate role in God's purposes was to be the people from whom the gospel went out to the world. The work of ministry is all for the sake of the building of the body of Christ. Again, given what Paul's already said in Ephesians, this must be about growing Christ's people through preaching the gospel. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul used the body to refer to the church, the fulfilment of God's cosmic purposes in Christ. A little later, he said that the body comes about through Jesus' death on the cross and through the preaching of the gospel. Christ's purpose was to reconcile both Jew and Gentile in one body to God through the cross. And then Christ came and preached the gospel to both Jewish and Gentile hearers. And in this way, believers are built in various ways and places, into a dwelling place for God. That's all in Ephesians chapter 2. Well, verse 13, Paul moves on to describe the vision and goal of this bodybuilding work by the Holy Ones. It's to happen until we arrive, all of us, at the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, at the grown-up man, at the measure of maturity, the fulfilment of of Christ. And this is the point where Paul begins to refer directly to the situation of his readers. Before this point, he's been speaking in the past tense. He gave. Now he starts to look to the future. He uses the word until. Before this point, he's been talking about other specific people, the apostles, the prophets, the holy ones. Now he starts talking directly about his readers. We, all of us. Before this point, he's been talking about what Christ did. Now he starts to talk about what Christ is doing and how his readers are involved. So this is the point where we can see ourselves more directly involved in what Paul is saying. What is he saying? He's talking about what Christ's body should look like. He's not talking in terms of how Christ's body should be organised or who's in charge or what the various roles should be. Rather, he gives us a vision and goal of unity, maturity, and fulfillment. This is what should happen as the body is built through the preaching of the gospel. The unity Paul's talking about is a unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. As the gospel is preached, as people believe that gospel, as they come to understand it more and more, and come to know Jesus himself more and more, the body becomes united. And this is Paul's vision. That's Jesus' vision too. See John 14 to 17. 
And significantly, it isn't just something for the original holy ones in Israel. It's something for all of us, Jewish and Gentile, as we hear the truth of the gospel and respond to it in faith and grow together in loving and knowing Jesus Christ more and more. In this way, the body becomes a grown-up adult. In other words, Paul's vision for Christ's body isn't just of a body made up of Gentiles who've only heard the basics of the gospel, centred around a core group of Jewish holy ones who heard it first and so know it really well. He sees Christ's body as made up of people who all know more and more about Christ and who care deeply about him and his church and work together for the good of us all. This is the measure of maturity. In fact, it's the fulfillment of Christ with all the heavenly and cosmic implications that Paul's already spelled out in chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. So how do we apply this passage to our own situation and our own ministries? Well, clearly, we should apply verse 13 and the following verses quite directly to ourselves. That's because verse 13 is the point where Paul starts talking about all of us and describes what the mature body of Christ should look like. This verse tells us that our churches should be places where we are aiming for maturity together. Yes, it's true that the gospel has a wonderful simplicity, and so it's something even a child can understand and respond to. But that doesn't mean we should settle for everyone in our churches having an infantile faith. The gospel also has huge multidimensional implications for our lives and for the world. So we should be aiming to grow up, to know Christ more and more together in different ways, and in love for one another. In the following verses, Paul talks more about what this should look like, with key phrases like, speaking the truth in love. We'll see more of this when we come to these verses uh, in future podcasts. Does that mean verses 11 and 12 don't apply to us at all today? Well, of course they apply to us. But because they're primarily describing what Christ did, rather than prescribing what we must do, they apply to us in a different way, much like the book of Acts applies to us today. They're very important things to learn from the description of the early Israelite believing community in verses 11 to 12. Firstly, these verses reinforce the fact that Christ is a rich and generous giver who gives his people what they need to live for him and serve his purposes. And secondly, they tell us that one of the things Christ gives is people. Now here, Paul is talking specifically about key people in the early Israelite believing community. But in various other places in the New Testament, we can read about key people in other Christian communities who have similar roles, especially when it comes to evangelists and pastors and teachers. In Acts chapter 20, for example, we read about the Ephesian elders whom Paul urges to follow his example in teaching and pastoring the flock. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And since there were clearly roles for certain people in various early Christian communities that look similar to the later parts of this list in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, well, it makes sense to assume that part of their job was to do similar things for their own Christian communities. What things? Well, the task of the people in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 was to work together to prepare their entire Christian community for the purpose of seeing the gospel go out to the nations. And since the gospel still needs to go out to people in our world today, 
we can conclude that preparing people to see the gospel proclaimed is a significant role for church leaders today as well. In other words, we should apply Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 in a similar way to the way we apply the descriptions we find in Acts. But we can't go so far as to insist that Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, or Acts for that matter, is giving us a detailed blueprint with a set structure for how our churches must be organised today. Now, some people do, in fact, do this. They treat verse 11 as a direct blueprint for today. And they insist that we must replicate all of the offices described here, including apostles and prophets. This is called fivefold ministry teaching. It's central to what has become known as the New Apostolic Reformation. But this is simply not what Paul is saying here. He is describing what Christ did not giving us instructions for what we must do today. And if we start to treat this passage as a blueprint with instructions for us today, we can end up wrongly using God's word to back up our own human inventions and authority structures with, unsurprisingly, disastrous results. Sometimes people take these verses more as a loose schematic for what Christian ministry should look like. A leadership team with people having different responsibilities working together to enable various kinds of service in the church. Now, of course, as we've seen from other places in the New Testament, Christ did continue to provide for his people through leaders, often called elders or overseers. And in other parts of the Bible, we see examples of what we might call team ministry. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he has quite a lot to say about the way he worked with various people in ministry teams. In Philippians, Paul talks about how the church is working with him in his gospel ministry. So we can see more generally from the Bible that ministry leadership does very often happen in teams of people with different gifts. And this ministry does involve equipping and training others for sharing the gospel and loving one another. And so it may well be right and wise under God and in light of his word to do the same. However, we need to remember that this is not the primary purpose for what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. And so we need to be careful about loading all of our godly wisdom about church structure into this one verse as if this verse is giving us a detailed blueprint that is the key to everything else, which it isn't. The point about team ministry is important, but it doesn't come just from Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. It comes from reading the whole Bible in light of God's purposes and plans. And of course, in all of this, we must not miss what this passage is telling us directly. Paul is saying some incredibly important things here about God and his work in the world. The risen Christ fulfills his purposes by ensuring his word goes out to the world through his people and so building his body. These things are all very relevant to our own questions about how to organise ourselves, aren't they? And yet, let's not just get caught up in how to organise ourselves. We need to keep ensuring we are seeking to understand what God's word is actually saying first, before we start asking all of our own questions. And then once we see what God cares about most of all, we'll come to love what God loves. And then, when we ask our own questions, we'll be able to apply godly wisdom to them, based in the things that matter to God. And this will help to answer many of our Roman questions. But it will also help us to remember that our Roman questions aren't the be-all and end-all. In other words, when it comes to ministry, we don't just need pragmatics. We need theology. 
for reflection. What have you learnt from this passage and from other parts of Ephesians about the things that God cares about most? And how does understanding what God cares about help you as you face your own questions about Christian life and ministry? You've been listening to Lift Your Eyes, a lo-fi audio podcast. No witty banter, no crime solved, just me reading my reflections on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I'm Lionel Windsor, New Testament lecturer at Moore College, Sydney. The text version of this podcast can be found at my website, www.lionelwindsor.net. Please check it out, subscribe and share.